<laughs> all right, we're good. We're good if you no, want to start it. trying to see the 3D picture. Like, I'm like, cross-eyed. Like, there's got to be a way to see this thing. And I just remember going to his room and trying so hard to finally get the 3D image to pop off of the pattern. And his was a cross. So if you could stand there and actually make yourself see it, then a cross would pop off of this picture. It's kind of cool. I was going to look on uh, Amazon to see if they sold those, but I was like, oh, I won't spend my money on one of those just to have a prop. But I feel like Exodus is kind of like those 3D pictures a little bit. So when you read through the story of Exodus, it's a really cool story. But then when you stop and look at each chapter and you stare at it long enough and you look at all of the different pieces, it's like a different 3D image pops off the page, right? One that points us to Jesus almost every single time we get together and talk. There's something new. There's a new 3D image. So my hope is that you guys are starting to see those 3D images pop off the page. When you read this, you don't just read this and go, oh, yeah, they, uh, I don't know, whatever. Oh, yeah, you brought them out of Egypt. Like, you see from that um, the 3D image of our spiritual story. It was their physical enslavement, but it tells the story of our redemption when you stop and look at all the pieces that go together, right? Okay, so I'm hoping that you guys are, are starting to see those. To start with, then, I just, real quickly, this is going to kind of lead us into where we're going tonight. But I want to review some of those 3D pictures that we're seeing. I just mentioned the first one. By looking at Israel's physical redemption from slavery in Egypt, we get a picture of our spiritual redemption. That's a big one. That's the biggest one of all. This was, we just brought them, we, well, God, not us, but <laughs> brought them through the Red Sea, and they are free, and they are on the other side. This was what the Israelites went back to over and over and over again. This is their salvation story, just like we go back to Calvary. To Christ, death, burial, and resurrection, our salvation story. That's, the, that's what we go back to. That's our foundation. This was their foundation, okay? 
But their physical redemption tells the story of our spiritual redemption. And it's a redemption that came for both of us by the blood of the lamb. Both of us. They had, they had an actual lamb blood on their lentil for Passover. Who do we have? We have Jesus, the true blood. And that story, when we looked at Passover, that was another 3D image that popped off the page, so to speak, was it was all about Jesus. That's what every single detail pointed to as they celebrated the Passover. So we're both saved, Israelites and us, whether we're talking about their story or our story, by the blood of the Lamb. And we know that is Christ, as John the Baptist so rightly declared. There is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Second 3D picture we start to get as we move through this. Over and over again, when God was declaring to Pharaoh, let my people go, he said, why? So we see a purpose. We see their purpose was, let my people go so they may serve me. The whole purpose of their redemption was so they could serve God. And that word serve also means worship. And the same is true for us. So we see another 3D image kind of pop off the page like, oh, it's not just their purpose. It's also our purpose to serve God, to worship God. That is why you are saved. You are not just saved so you don't have to go to hell. That's great. That's amazing. I don't want to downplay that. You are saved to live for God. You are saved so you can freely serve him without the confinement of that sinful nature just holding you captive. Still there, but it's not holding you captive anymore. Okay, the third image then that we see when we stop to really dig into Exodus um, well, we saw this a couple weeks ago. We see that the Israelites weren't just set free, but that they were led by God through a pillar of cloud and fire, right? They were led out by God in a pillar of cloud and fire as they began their journey. It's just so cool how God kind of shows us all of these spiritual connections through this story that happened to them. Well, the cloud and the fire then is kind of an interesting thing. Like, oh, they led them out in a pillar of cloud and fire. Well, cloud and fire over and over again present to us the presence of God. So we're going to see that next semester with Mount Sinai. That mountain is going to be on fire, and there's going to be a lot of smoke. You see smoke and fire. What did we see at the burning bush? We saw smoke and fire. The bush was on fire. If you um, even go back into Genesis, Genesis 15, when God tells Abraham that your descendants are going to be slaves in a foreign land, and he gives them, makes the covenant with him that I'm going to give you the land. You know how he seals that covenant? He has Abraham kill all these animals and then open them up. And then a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch go through the middle. And that's God's presence. So again, we see smoke and fire. So this pillar of cloud and fire that's leading them out of Egypt is God's presence. And it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit leading us. He does not make us go it alone. Not at all. From day one, he does not make us go it alone. I want you guys just to know something I've never seen before. Um, okay, no, we're going to come back to that in a second. Never mind. Okay. Let's develop the picture a little bit further before I go there. The picture next, then, is we see the people coming through. Um, they get to the Red Sea, right? God leads them there on purpose, and they get stuck because they're hemmed in between the sea and an Egyptian army that is going to kill them. So what do we see them? We see them go from death to life. 
through water. water. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. What in scripture, what symbolic act do believers do today to show that we have crossed from death to life? Baptism. Baptism. Water. Mm -hmm. It's symbolic. Okay. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 2 says, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. It's kind of weird language. Like, what? Baptized into Moses? What does that mean? And that was 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. I know I'm going kind of fast if you want to write that down. They were baptized into Moses. That's weird. What the Apostle Paul is doing in that verse, though, is just linking Israel's physical redemption from Egypt to our spiritual redemption in Christ. He's helping us see that 3D picture kind of pop off the page, okay? So let's connect this to Romans 6.4. Romans 6.4 says of our life in Christ that we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Hold on to that newness of life idea. But let's think about this for a minute. Were we really buried? No. I didn't go underground. We, were not we weren't really buried. Did we really die? It says you were buried, therefore, um, with him by, by baptism into death. Did we really die? No. No. It's symbolic. That's what I want us to understand. Do we need to have a physical baptism to be saved? No. No, we do not. But we do need to have a spiritual one. That is the difference. You need to have a spiritual one in which the Holy Spirit indwells you um, by grace through faith in Jesus when you become a new creation, when you cross from death to life. And at what point does that happen? That happens at the point of salvation. So when did the pillar of cloud and fire um, go in front of Israel? At what point? Remember? Was it after they went through water? It was before. The pillar of cloud and fire, the presence of God, was gifted to them after the blood of the Lamb. After Passover, God started leading and guiding them with his presence. It was not when they came through the water, even though, according to 1 Corinthians 10, we can see a 3D picture there of that being um, equivalent to something that we would do symbolically, the believer's baptism. Okay, But it's, what it is, is, is really, it's all symbolic of the spiritual baptism that we have. When we say yes to Jesus, we come to him by faith. It's the spirit that comes upon us. You get that picture of like, like filling us, baptizing us. If you want to write something down, Matthew 3.11 is a good reference point for that. Matthew 3.11 says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me, and this is John the Baptist speaking, is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Rosie's here! <laughs> Yay! That delights me. Yay! <laughs> so he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Are we really baptized with fire? Does fire really come upon us? No, you've got to think this is symbolic. 
But what did happen uh, when the Holy Spirit first came upon them at Pentecost, tongues of fire came upon them. So you see that fulfilled. Are you getting the idea that we've, it's symbolic? But you've seen them. Okay. All right. So what did God do then at the Red Sea? What did he do? He separated land and water. He put a distinction between land and water. What does that sound like? Separation of land and water. Sounds to me like Genesis. Sounds to me like creation when he separated the land from the water for the first time. So this is kind of deep, but this is another 3D <laughs> picture here. If we stop and see what happened to them and we look at the Red Sea and we think about them coming through water from death to life, it's all symbolic of them being a new creation. And you are a new creation in Jesus. How then does life begin for all of us? As a baby. We all begin as a baby. And what do babies have to learn? <coughs> everything. They have to learn everything. Likewise, when we come to faith in Jesus and we are born again, we come through water, we are born again, death to life. We have to learn everything. <coughs> we don't come to Jesus and just know. We don't really know the Lord at all, maybe, when we first come to him. We know that he can save, right? We know maybe that, um, I don't know, he can pick us up off our feet. Like, you know, we know he forgives. Like, there's certain things that we learn um, at that point of salvation, but there is so much to learn about the Lord. That's just a starting point. And then we have a lot of learning to do. And so did Israel. Now, if we look, okay, let me pause. Does this make sense? <coughs> make sense. Go I just ahead. thought right there that when you're saved, you don't, the relationship that you have is not there. So once you're saved, then you have that relationship with Christ and that's your starting point. So yes. it is like starting over because you're starting to build that relationship with him. Yes. Yeah. So if you've ever struggled with the concept of just thinking about like you're a new creation or coming from death to life, that point of salvation with Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon you at that point. You are new. You are starting basically over as a freed, uh, spirit-filled image of God, you know? And so you... Um, but you have a lot to learn, but you start that relationship right then and there. Any, what other thoughts? Any other thoughts? I'm going fast. I know I'm going fast. I want to get into the text. Cool. Okay. So that makes sense. All right. So what did Israel know so far? Well, if you look back at the song they just sang in chapter 15, we can see that they knew quite a few things. And that was one of the things we've seen as a theme in Exodus, right? The Lord wants them to know him. So that you will know that I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Or he did things so the Egyptians would know he was the Lord. So they're learning that and they're seeing that. If we looked back at Exodus 15, we would see um, the Israelites had come to know that he was the Lord. They knew he was a man of war and they knew the Lord was his name. That says it in verse 3. Um, they knew that he could save. They knew he had a powerful right hand that could shatter the enemy. They knew that there was no one like him. They knew he was completely unique. They knew in some capacity that the Lord reigned. I mean, all of these Egyptian gods just totally wiped out. They knew he was powerful. They knew he redeemed. 
he had just redeemed them from slavery. But is that it? Is that all God is? No. He's so much more. Is he the God of salvation and nothing else? No. He is so much more. And if that's your only picture of God is that, oh, he saved me. If that's all you have, it is terribly incomplete. You have to learn so much more about him. He's a God that you can trust every single day. He's a God who provides. He's a God who cares and heals and reconciles and walks with you. But how do we learn that? We learn it through his word and trials, experience. We learn it by experience. So what does God do for the Israelites? He puts them in trials. He puts them in situations where they can learn by experience. Is it any wonder then that God leads us to hard places? It's really not. It's not. He takes us to hard places so that we can experience him in a new way. So we can learn more about him. So we can realize you're trustworthy. Yes, you are trustworthy, and I can walk with you, and you are never going to leave me. We start to learn all of these things. As, and then the next time we go through a trial, we're like, oh, wait, I've experienced this before, and God didn't leave me. And we can look back then on those trials because we know him a little bit better. Okay, sometimes God is going to lead us to Mara. It's just the way it is so that we can learn a little bit more about him. And that is exactly where the Israelites go. So if you're not there, go to Exodus 15, verse 22. Exodus 15, 22. Bitter water made sweet. I absolutely love this little passage right here. I've written on it a couple of different times, and it's just one of my favorites. There's a few different directions that you can, you can go with it. Verse 22. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. Marah means bitter. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, or tree, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So they're three days in to their journey, and they need water. We could probably understand this. We walk around with like gigantic <laughs> water bottles everywhere. Like, we gotta have our water, right? <laughs> or we are gonna be thirsty. They're really thirsty. Thank you for bringing that in. <laughs> but when they get, I know, it's perfect prop. I think I should hold it or something. When they get to Mara, though, and they find
find out that the water is bitter and they can't drink it, they're just a wee bit upset about this because they are thirsty. But it is not drinkable water. But God then makes it drinkable. And then he says, if you obey me, you won't have to experience what the Egyptians did. So, okay, what do you think the Lord is trying to teach them here? If they're new at this, trust him. Trust him. Yes, I made a little list. So I think that is one of them for sure. Trust me. That's what he's trying to show them. What else could he be trying to show them? Definitely. Big one. Patience. What else? He will provide for he them. He will provide for them. Yes. Isn't that a huge one that we have to learn on our walk with the Lord? As we follow him, we have to learn that he will provide for us. But we still have trouble with that one. Sometimes it is hard to think, oh, you're going to provide for me in this situation, whether it's physical or spiritual, mental, social, whatever it is. We have a hard time believing that he's going to provide. He is our provider. We're going to see that a lot tonight. What else might he be trying to show them, teach them? Obedience. Obedience. Yes. <laughs> Got to be obedient to me. This isn't just a come out of Egypt and then go and do your own thing. This is you follow me. You do what I say, and we have this relationship. Yes. What else? Anything else coming to mind? I, I hear you. I hear your cries. I hear your prayers. Or, I don't know how you word it, but I yeah. Hear you. Yeah, I heard you. <coughs> yes, and I answer prayer. I listen, which that's something that hopefully they would have learned all the way back when they were in Egypt because they cried to the Lord. But we need those reminders, like, oh, yeah, you do. You do hear my prayers. <laughs> you do. It's hard for us to believe that one also. Yes. So when you need something, the Lord says, come to me. Come to me. I will provide for you. He tells them another name for himself here. What name did he give himself in verse 26? Healer. So they're learning that he is their healer also. And Kind of on a surface level, I think they're maybe they're learning that he can take even the bitter things and make them sweet. He can make the bitter things sweet. Yes, all of those things, trustworthy, answered prayer, absolutely, I wrote all of those down. What do you think, looking at verse 26, what do you think they might be afraid of? If you reread verse 26, the Lord says, if you listen and obey, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. What are they afraid of? Maybe. Dying. Yeah. What did God just do to the Egyptians? Like, kind of a fierce God to the Egyptians. He killed all the firstborn, and they had, you know, like, didn't they have, like, boils on them at one point? I mean, you go back to all the plagues, and you think, this is just, this is not a nice God. I mean, I'm really glad he brought us out of Egypt, but, ooh. What if he gets mad at us? Yeah, right. So I think he's presenting kind of a different side of himself to them and going, I am so much more than that. You will obey me and walk in obedience to me. We're gonna, this is going to be a beautiful relationship. I look at you like my child. I want to provide for you. So he's putting them in a position where they can learn these things. Now, I also think there's a 3D picture here that's, going to pop off the page to you here in just a minute that's pointing us to Christ. The word log in this, so somehow God communicates to Moses, there's that tree over there. 
Like, this is kind of weird when you stop to think about it. Like, what was so special about that tree? Throw it. Yeah. <laughs> Go into that tree and throw it in the water. But at this point, Moses is like, I'll do anything he says because the craziest things have happened so far. And I'm just along for the ride. So he goes and gets a tree, whatever was special about this tree, and throws it in, and it becomes sweet. All right, this log is literally the word tree. So we have bitter water made sweet by a tree. Can anyone think of another tree that perhaps has turned your life from something bitter to something sweet? The cross. Yes, that is exactly what this points to. Galatians 3.13 refers to the cross as a tree. Cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. Now just hold on to that thought for just a moment while we develop this a little bit more, okay? Last week, then, we saw that God parts the water. That's what we saw him do, and we love that story. We love to sing about that story. We love to think about that story. We love it when God parts the water, right? This week, we see him sweeten the water. Both are miracles, definitely. But I would say we prefer one over the other. Which one do we like better? The parting. Way more exciting. <laughs> Plus, we like the idea of God parting the waters. Lord, if you could just please change my circumstances and make life a whole lot better for me, that'd be great. And I could just, if I could just walk through on dry ground, if you could just make a way for me and like take all this nonsense away so I don't have to deal with it anymore, you just part the waters, that'd be fantastic. And so we send up these part the water prayers because we love that idea, and I'm right there with you. I don't blame us one bit. But there's another miracle happening here, and I think sometimes it's the bigger miracle, and I think we miss it sometimes. I think the bigger miracle is finding the bitter water of our bitter circumstances drinkable. God sweetens the water. God makes us be able to endure those circumstances. Instead of parting the water, maybe he makes it drinkable so that you can go forward, so that you can make it through. He doesn't part the water, but he makes it drinkable. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. He sweetens it with his presence, perhaps. I am with you. You can do everything through me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. You can bear fruit through this situation. I am never going to leave you. I have never left you. I give you everything that you need. I'm going to sweeten the water for you. You're going to drink it. But it's going to be okay. And eventually you get to the other side. Like maybe years down the road, you're like, I drank the water. You know, like, I made it. But God didn't park the water. He made it drinkable. Does that make sense? He made you go through it. He made you go through it. He made you go through it. And in a way, I mean, it's symbolic, but again, it's like he makes you drink it. But he made it okay. He sweetened it so that you could, you could keep going. Mm -hmm. And he never left your side the whole time. I was thinking about ways maybe that this, how, what could this look like? Well, how does he make the water drinkable? I can forgive when I didn't think I could forgive. Or I can be godly in a situation that doesn't feel like I can be godly. Mm -hmm. I can keep going or I can love when love feels impossible. There's some really hard people out there to love. Some of you have them in your families. 
God makes it possible for you to be able to love them. I can be patient when I'm completely out of patience. Um, I can be hope-filled when I feel like there is no hope. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of the gospel. Because of that special tree that changed everything. He throws it on. So just throw the gospel on top of that raging water and drink it. Because he is with you. So and I realized today after I was reviewing, I was like, I never gave you guys any principles. So I kind of, get, I kind of like put a P next to a couple of things. So if you want to pick this a principle, here it is. God can make even the bitter things sweet. God can make even the bitter things sweet. I think it's fun to imagine like how it was for this one. Because like, like I can't blame them for complaining. I'm sure in that situation, by then people with little kids may have been past like complaining and like possibly really fearful. Like yeah. we're, we don't have water and like a kid needs water and like the kids are complaining like this water was sweet and like I just imagine like the kids are like jumping in and like swimming. Yes. Just I don't know. It was probably like a fun time. That's beautiful Tony. I love that. Mm-hmm. When they realized the water was sweet, you know mm-hmm. and it says sweet. So let's, there's a spiritual picture here too. Do you know what bitter water means? It means dead water. It means stale water. So this water was stagnant. Picture like a pond that hasn't moved in years and years and years. I think there's one at the ark. <laughs> you don't want to drink that water. You'll get really sick if you drink that water. It's very stagnant. You know, you get all like that mold, mossy stuff growing all over it. Don't drink the water. Well, what kind of water do you drink? What's that? Living water. Living water. Water that is flowing. You want to drink from a stream that is moving, not from stagnant, dead water. So what did Jesus then promise us in John seven thirty eight? He promised that if we believe in him, out of our heart will flow rivers of living water, spring water, moving water, living water, not dead water, a.k.a. How did all of this happen? How did the living water come about? A tree. So you see here this picture of dead water, the tree going in, and then you get not, not just sweet water, but moving, living water that they could drink. You see the picture there mm-hmm. of the tree and then the living water? Okay. If I could just turn my page. I can't turn my page. <laughs> Death to life. That's what we see again here. That dead water to that living water. Stagnant to free-flowing. This is the miracle of walking daily with Jesus. You get this daily in your life. It's a miracle every single day. So how cool is it that after the Israelites come out of Egypt, that God gives them living water? It's not an accident that that's like the first place they go, three days in, and then God gives them living water because he's filling, that's what he gives to us through the Holy Spirit right off the bat. What am I referring to? I'm referring to John 7, 37, just to make sure we're all on the same page. John 7, 37 to 39, 
If anyone thirsts, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then he goes on in verse 39 to say, now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him would receive. They hadn't received him yet at that point, but the living water. Okay, now look back at the text then, verse 27. What happens in verse 27? What's that? Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Yes. You want to expound on that a little bit? Uh, the 12 springs and the 70 palm trees. Yeah. Like the 12 tribes and the 70 elders. Yes, exactly. Tony's going to come up and finish teaching the class for <laughs> She's on it tonight. <laughs> 12 springs of water. They go to a place where there's 12 springs of water. There is living water for each tribe. That's significant. The, there wasn't, I don't believe they're really like this 12 and 70. I think, again, this is symbolic of mm -hmm. abundance. There was enough. There was plenty. There was a spring of living water for each tribe of Israel, and there was a palm tree for each of the elders. In where is that at? 24-9. Um, we'll get there next semester. Exodus 24-9, there's 70 elders. And so you see this abundance that happens. There is more than enough. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. See all this coming together? Then the very next thing Jesus says in that passage in John 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd, which is what Rhonda expounded on for us last week. So when we link those two together, we get this revelation that's, Follow me, says Jesus, and I will make your life full because I will be with you. I will give you abundance. It's a spiritual abundance, though, because this does not mean stuff. We just have to clear that up. Probably we all know that, but we're going to talk about it anyway. Abundance does not mean he's going to give us a bunch of stuff or things, right? There is no such thing as the, well, there is, but it's not real. It's false. Prosperity gospel. So what does Jesus mean by abundance? First of all, I think he's pointing us to eternity with abundance. You guys, we can't even fathom the abundance we are going to experience in eternity. It's going to be unreal. It's, it's going to be amazing. This life that we're living right now, I got this from my How to Read the Bible class, actually, that I just took. But this life we're living right now is like the title page. That's it. This whole life is the title page to the rest of the story. And we get so wrapped up in it and so upset and so like eyes down all the time. And I think Jesus is going, I have abundance for you, but you just got to hang in there a little bit and just, just walk with me. It's going to honor me. It's going to glorify me. You're going to see it. So I think the abundance is definitely talking about eternity. This life is just just the beginning of so much more. Secondly, I think Christ is pointing to himself. He is the abundant life. Living life with him is a life of abundance. Jesus is not promising stuff. He's promising fulfillment. Not promising stuff. He's promising fulfillment. And notice where he's promising this. Or notice where he's giving the Israelites fulfillment in the wilderness. 
He's giving them abundance even in the wilderness. It's pretty cool. He can do that. Maybe you feel like you've been in the wilderness a lot. Maybe you feel like you're living in the wilderness. Maybe you're like, I've been in the wilderness for years. I don't know how to get out. God can give you abundance even there. But the key is him. He's the key to all of this. Walking with him. Living this life with him. He is the abundant life. Okay. If we stick with him, we will find him faithful. Here's your second principle. If we stick with Jesus, we will find him faithful. We will. We will absolutely find him faithful. He'll provide whatever you need, however you need it. The problem is we don't let him. We go look for it elsewhere. We try and get that fulfillment ourselves, you know, from something else. But he will provide. If we stick with him, we will find him faithful. All right. That's the water. How are we doing on the water made sweet? We've all had a drink. Now we need something to eat. <laughs> had a drink, but now we're kind of hungry. So we're going to talk about the bread from heaven. Move right into chapter 16. Verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. I just find that hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's short for Sinai, but I just there's no accidents in scripture. So we're just going to enjoy that one. They're in the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So how long have they been out of Egypt? Anyone remember? One month. They left on the 15th day of the first month. And now we're at the 15th day of the second month. So it's been a month. They've been out and they've been wandering the wilderness for a few weeks now. And we can guess what happens. They're going to grumble. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, verse 2, grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Seriously. (laughs) They have a memory problem. They are. We do too. Yeah, but if you haven't been for a month. Right? I think I'd thought I'd rather die quick. Isn't it interesting though how when we're <laughs> she makes plans over here, but just in case. I think it's interesting that when we're in a place where we're discontent, we suddenly look back on something that was familiar and think, Oh, that was great. Oh, let me go back there. You know, whatever was familiar to us before. One of the other people thought. Yeah. Let's just go back there. Stop and think about what they're doing. They are actually wishing God had never saved them. Like, they want to go back. I mean, they're saying they would rather go back and be slaves in Egypt. That's just crazy. Crazy. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Oh, so cool. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may 
test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening, you shall know. There's that again. We've seen that before. That it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord. Because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumbled against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. So I just got to stop for a second, because this is convicting, I think. All that grumbling that we do, maybe against our pastors or our church, those are God's chosen leaders. Are we grumbling against them, or are we really grumbling against God? We're really grumbling against God, is what this passage is telling us. <sighs> we got to be careful when we're, if we're complaining, if we're grumbling, or coming alongside might be the better approach, coming alongside. We're really grumbling against the Lord. We're going to talk more next week when we wrap up this semester. We're going to talk more about grumbling next week, but just could not pass that up. They were actually grumbling against the Lord. Skip down to verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. He hears it. He hears our complaining. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know, there it is again, that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. I picture frost and flakes. Does anyone else picture frost and flakes? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's like, we know it describes it later on. Verse 31 describes it like, I don't know what coriander seed is. Does anyone else know what, does anyone know what that is? white and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey i don't i don't know it's interesting but cookies. it was fine cookies cookies <laughs> vanilla wafers that's right Just like vanilla wafers cookies. but it was flake like fine as frost on the ground so i have several questions here i'd really like to know how many calories are, are in the manna. <laughs> that would just be a, that'd be a fun fact to know right there. Well, I had something to say. Yeah, go for it. It didn't matter how many calories because he was teaching. You're right. They weren't supposed to overeat. And he told them exactly, well, he said how they much? could gather as much or little, but what is it, an omer? They're to gather an omer for each person. Yeah. That's what I need the Lord to do. I need the Lord to give me something, just an omer. I'll see that every day. <laughs> Well, you know, it was kind of what was getting them through the whole day of wherever they were walking. So yes. I don't think they cared about. Right. No. I just think it's fun to think no. about. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's Arthur Pink who described it this way. If every person, so an omer is like two liters. So think of a two liter bottle. That's how big an omer is. So two liter of Coke. So if everyone gathered two liters of the manna, that would be like 10 trains, each having 30 cars, and each car having in it 15 tons. 
that's how much manna God would have to have provided every single day. Isn't that neat to think, like, it's a lot of manna fallen, <laughs> bread from heaven, fallen from the sky. And we learned that it fell every day for 40 years, the entire time that they were in the wilderness. He yeah. fed them all the way up to the promised land. You just about that. Right? That's all yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I'm tired of this oh, bread. Yeah. Well, we've all done that, I am sure. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. At least it was sweet and tasted like honey, but then we'd want a different taste. Not honey anymore. Okay, verse 15. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? So that's what manna means, is what? Manna means what? The word manna. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer. There's your two liters right there. According to the number of persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. The Lord loves to make things stink. I like the frogs. We've seen some stinky things so far in Exodus. And Moses was angry with them. I love this verse. Verse 21. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. All right, we're going to stop there. I'm going to trust that you have read through the end of the chapter. And that talks a little bit more about the Sabbath um, and how they were collected for the Sabbath. And in your homework, you kind of look at that a little bit more. So that's not the direction that I want to go right now. Okay, what all do you think God is teaching them here? Not to worry about tomorrow. Yes, not to worry about tomorrow. I kept seeing Matthew 6, like, come up in this passage. Don't worry. Why are you so worried all the time? I'm going to provide for you. What else do you think he could have been teaching them here? Yes, because they were only supposed to take what they needed for that day and then trust that it was going to be there again tomorrow and that they would have enough to get through that day and then they would have enough to get through the next day. Yes. What else? Patience. Patience. Yes. Would like to see them show a little gratitude because <laughs> he's brought them through so much yeah and yet they I agree. grumble and then mm-hmm. they grumble about something mm-hmm. else and then they grumble about the next thing yeah it just seems like a real lack of gratitude absolutely yes teaching them to have a thankful heart be thankful mm-hmm. anything else you see here that god could be teaching them through this
still teaching them to obey mm -hmm. because when they didn't listen, yes. it didn't go well. Again, obedience. Yes. Listen to my instructions. It benefits you to follow what I say. <laughs> do what I tell you to do. Yeah. Maybe too, like be satisfied with what I give you. Yes. Like I'm going to give you this bread and you just, I want you to be satisfied with it. Yes, absolutely. Satisfaction. Yeah. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I know that verse. I just don't remember where it's found. <laughs> but I tell that to myself a lot. Yes. So I very much see a very, I see all of those. I see trust, provision, um, obedience, looking to him daily, um, their whole lives then being governed by God daily, on a daily basis, receiving from him first and foremost what they need. So I, I see an element here of physical provision, absolutely, and that's Matthew 6. Um, our Heavenly Father knows what we need, and he loves us more than sparrows. He's going to provide what we need. He knows that we need physical provision. But more than that, I think it's pointing us to a spiritual provision. Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added to you. There's a spiritual provision, an element here that's pointing to. Moses tells us, who wants to look up Deuteronomy 8, 3? You might want to snag that real quick. Moses tells us in Deuteronomy 8.3 what the goal of the manna was. And in your homework, you looked this up. When you get it, just somebody start reading it. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known that the man does not live by bread alone, but the man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So they were learning, the goal here, hopefully, was that they would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He wants them living by his word. That's what he is trying to teach them here. Who is the word made flesh? Jesus. And what did Jesus say about himself in John 6, 35? He is the bread. I am the bread. He said, I am the bread of life. What I absolutely love about this story of the manna is how all the parallels are so perfect with the provision of God's word to us and the bread that came to them. So we're going to go through these so you can see how perfect these parallels are. Jesus is the bread of life, and this is how we eat him. <laughs> right here through his word on a daily basis. I particularly see seven parallels, which I thought was fun because seven is the number of completion in the Bible. So it's like, oh, it's perfect. It's seven. There's seven parallels between the manna and God's word. The first one I see is that the, the manna was miraculous. The manna was miraculous. It was supernaturally given. It's not man-made, as was the birth of Christ, along with his word that we now hold in our hands. 2 Peter 1.21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is not man-made. This is God-made and God-breathed. So you see the manna was miraculous and so is God's word. It's miraculous. 
The second thing we see, the manna was gathered daily. They weren't allowed to gather a week's supply in one fell swoop. And this is a big one for us that I want us to see. They were to get it fresh each morning. Verse 21, what did it say? Morning by morning. They went out and they gathered the manna. This is how God wants us to live. Daily needing this. Daily seeking it. Daily going and getting it. First thing in the morning. First Start thing in the morning. Before anything else. Yes. And I know that is hard, mamas. <laughs> Little ones especially. But if you can just even get a verse in your head or somehow just get your direction so that it is on the Lord and then later maybe sometime it's it's you're in scripture maybe later on in day during nap time or whatever like there's so much grace there all right but the example set for us here with the manna is morning by morning they went out and they gathered it new each day and maybe it's not in the morning maybe the fact of the matter too is that it was new each day it wasn't just going to church on sunday and trying to shovel it all in, mm -hmm. and then you got what you need, and then you don't open your Bible the rest of the week. That is going to leave you starving spiritually. You can't do that. It's not how God intended for your relationship to be with him. You can't get it on one day. You have to gather it daily whenever you're going to do that. Maybe you, maybe it's, maybe the man, maybe you had time to quickly put the manna in a two-liter bottle, and then you're going to go back and you're going to eat later. That's okay. That's fine, you know. The point is daily. It's a daily thing. Thirdly, oh, one thing I want to point out. How, this is why Jesus tells us to pray in Matthew 6, 11. Give us this day our daily bread. You see that kind of all coming together. When the disciples said, teach us to pray, he's like, yeah, ask for your daily bread. <laughs> That's what you're going to need the most. Thirdly, the manna was near. The manna, so we have the manna was miraculous. The manna was gathered daily. The manna was near. Every morning, it was right outside their tents. When they walked outside, they had no choice. It was going to be there. They could either gather it or they could trample over the top of it. One or the other. Like it or not, we have the same choice. His word is readily available to us. We are so blessed. There's so many places in the world where they would do anything to have a copy of the Bible and they don't have one. And at my house, I've got 20, you know? I've got, I've got it on my phone. It's, it's with me all the time. What do we do with that? Do we trample it? It's right there. Or do we gather it? Do we take the time to put it within us, to eat it, to spend time with it? Fourthly, there was more than enough for everyone. I love this too. And it blows my mind when I stop to think about the fact that whoever needed to gather a lot, you know, they gathered as much as they needed, and then whoever needed just a little bit, they, they gathered what they needed, and it was always enough. It was always enough for every single person in Israel. <laughs> they never lacked for manna. Never. And there is always enough. This is enough. This, is, this will fill you. It is enough to satisfy you when, it's, when you walk with Jesus and you're walking with him daily. 
fifth, the manna was gathered first thing in the morning, okay? So there's where that Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. What's that? Just have to figure out what that looks like for you. For me, it does look like, it looks like avoiding my phone. I don't get on my phone and I seek first. I go and I read first with the Lord. Sixth, the manna revealed God's glory. The manna revealed God's glory. In reference to the manna, Moses tells the Israelites, in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, Exodus 16, 7. And do you know how we see God's glory? A lot of ways, but one of them is right here. We see God's glory through his word. I've been thinking a lot about what God's glory looks like, and uh, we're going to see this next semester when uh, God's glory passes in front of Moses. But when he does that, he gives Moses a description of himself. He describes himself, and that is his glory. We see his glory when we learn who he is. We see his glory when we see the attributes of Christ in each other. We see his glory when we see the fruit of the Spirit in one another. We see his glory when we see each other serving with um, the gifts of the Spirit. See, what, see how we can see the, the glory of God in so many ways. But this is where I know I will daily see God's glory when I sit down. And I know I've used this example before, but I feel like... The Holy Spirit is there as our helper to remind us of the truth of God's word. I have to give him something to work with. <laughs> i got to put it in there so that he can remind me of it later. If I don't give him anything to work with, then how is he going to remind me of what God's word says? So, sure, he can do anything. But I often think, okay, I'll just, I'll just put it in there. It's like a savings account. Right? That's what Jen Wilkin always says. I'm going to put it in my savings account for the day. Whether or not that made sense to me now or not, i got to go. It's time to make breakfast. But then maybe later on in that day, something happens, and one of those verses pop back in my head, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to do this. Or, oh, that's perfect. And I see God's glory then because God makes a connection in my mind. That makes sense? Okay. Seven. The manna was preserved. It was preserved in a jar as a remembrance of God's provision to all the generations to come, just as God's word has been preserved for us through each generation. That's a miracle, too. We still have God's word intact after how many generations of people? It's still God-breathed. So the manna was preserved. God's word is preserved. So what did God want the Israelites to understand? He wanted them to understand that he was their provider, and they needed him every single day. What does God want us to understand? He is our provider, and we need him every single day. There is nothing more important in your daily routine than feasting on God's word. There is nothing more important than feasting on God's word. And I'm looking at my clock. Yeah. Okay. Pause.